Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for tuning in again. It's episode 59 and I'm recording this on Thursday the 5th of August 2021. The heather on the moors around us is now starting to flower and the lapwings, curlews and oyster catchers are gathering together ahead of their migration, having fledged quite a few youngsters this year. It's felt like a hectic few weeks with my first in real life workshop for a new client a couple of webinars and some final touches to a case study on Patagonia for the Case Centre. In today's episode, we're going to talk about packaging with Ray Stanton of Lush Cosmetics. A few years ago, I did a brilliant MOOC on circular packaging from TU Delft, which featured Lush's naked packaging designs as a case study. Lush aims to focus on the ingredients that go into the product, and a strip back unnecessary packaging and ingredients, including water, which is the main ingredient in many other cosmetics and personal care products, often making up 80% or more of the total volume. We talk about different packaging materials, including cork, paper and fabric, designing value into the packaging itself, and how Lush uses permaculture to guide its product and packaging philosophies. And my thanks to the Employee Ownership Association for making this episode possible. Let's go to the interview and I'll catch up with you afterwards to share my takeaways. Ray Stanton is the Earthcare Retail Lead for Lush Cosmetics UK and Ireland. Ray's been with Lush for seven years and is part of the Earthcare team, providing environmental best practice insight across the Lush retail business. A range of experience across a varied career inside and outside Lush has instilled Ray's passion for shaking up sustainability in the cosmetics industry and beyond. The Earthcare team has a diverse role across the Lush business. One day they might be implementing packaging schemes, the next day creating staff training around regenerative ingredient sourcing and the importance of permaculture. Through internal communication and external outreach, Ray's passion lies in helping people understand the importance of moving beyond sustainability towards regeneration and most importantly, turning this understanding into meaningful action. As a company, Lush aims to leave the world lusher than we found it. Ray, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. It's fantastic to have you as a guest on the show. Lush was one of the companies I included on my original wish list of guests after seeing some of the groundbreaking circular circular packaging projects a few years ago. After being inspired by the Lush case study from TU Delft, I'm curious to know more about the packaging ethos and a few examples of innovative approaches like 
naked packaging, cork, tins and so on. Could you run through a few of those for us? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is this is a, a opening the uh, floodgates for me to just waffle continuously for ages. So okay, let's rein it in a bit. Um, yeah, anybody that knows us will probably know uh, that we sell what we call naked products. So a bit like when you walk past a bakery and you can smell the produce inside. People can often say they smell lush, and I've experienced it myself. You can smell it from down the street. You can just follow your nose. Especially if you're in a shopping mall and you're not quite sure whereabouts Lush is because it's a contained space as well, you can just sort of sniff around a bit. You usually find us. Um, and, and that was definitely a very deliberate part of the cosmetics creations way back in the early days, um, especially after Cosmetics to Go when Lush relaunched and lots of the packaging that was, was stripped back. And it was much more about the focus on the product, the ingredients that go into it, uh, why they're in there, what it's going to do for your skin, for your senses, for your hair. And so being able to sort of strip back or minimalize unnecessary packaging really let the, the product shine through, I think it's fair to say. And so that led us to this naked uh, revolution as such, so that now, for example, we have solid versions of most of our ranges so we've got solid face moisturizers we've got solid shampoo and conditioners uh shampoo bars are really taking the world by storm at the moment and we invented those around 20 years ago i think or so um so that's really great to see those sorts of things um society sort of jumping on board with that um and thinking like yeah this is the way to go we don't need all of this excess packaging um, we also have things that you wouldn't necessarily think like uh, body moisturizers, uh, hand lotions, hair color. So solid hair color in the way of our uh, solid henna blocks that are encased in loads of lovely cocoa butter. So yeah, if we can take, the, if we could solidify a product and we can take away the packaging, uh, why not? Because not only are you minimizing the packaging, but then it's minimizing the water usage, say, that goes into the product. Because lots of cosmetics are predominantly water. We look at the ingredients list. And so being able to reduce that gives greater benefits with the ingredients being able to be used directly um, and also the less water in this climate that we're in and being much more responsible stewards of water is really, really advantageous. And then what about the packaging that we do have? Because obviously lots of our products around um, half or just over half of our products are available naked, but that leaves a large percentage of um, products that still come in packaging. So typically our packaging is often black, plain, recycled and recyclable PP, so polypropylene plastic. And it's very much mimics like a um, white writing like chalk on a chalkboard. So in the early days and still now where we have sort of uh, slates or boards in the shop with the, the chalk writing on with like the product information or the product name in the early days, I believe that it, they, they were just small slates that the staff would write up when the fresh products were made. So this was such and such a face mask and that signage would lie on the ice. And so it was very much sort of staying true to their um, aesthetic, um, but allowing us obviously have a material that allows the uh, product inside to stay fresh for as long as as it can do with minimal preservatives etc and so people can notice that our packaging it oh sorry Catherine yeah just to ask about the the um the black 
um, polypropylene then. Is that a similar principle to the reason it's used for meat in that it helps keep the product fr fresh for longer because of excluding the light and so on? Yeah, that's a that's a really good good question, and I am not a, a plastics chemist or a technologist, so I'm not going to emphatically give too much <laughs> info and just sort of um, make it sound like I I can go into all of that um, chemistry. However, yeah, that omission of light and and the UV protection that the dark plastic offers and the way it can help to stabilize the microbiology of the product inside is definitely um, a a real deciding factor in why we go for that plastic mm. and also we're able to close loop that plastic in the UK um, and other markets we've got a fantastic system whereby we can take back that plastic and reuse it and we can source a fully recycled uh, feedstock as we call it so we're not having to use virgin plastic in the manufacture of that anymore since about 2008 I believe um, which is really really fantastic um, so yeah, so move move on to some of the things that you mentioned, Catherine, about like let's move away from the naked that we talked about and the plastic. But what about everything else? And definitely have to mention cork because our cork pots that really sort of exploded onto the scene in 2019 are made from Portuguese cork. And the wonderful thing about cork is that as a material, if done uh, correctly, it can be genuinely regenerative. So not only is it carbon neutral or are we carbon offsetting, for example, the, the impact, it's actually carbon positive, as we call it, um, which means that the production and the maintenance of these cork pots and the cork, subsequent cork oak forests uh, sequester more carbon, around three times more carbon than the individual weight of the pot. So if you have a little pot that weighs around 33 grams, 35 grams, something like that, it's actually sequestering three times that amount of CO2 equivalent um, through the, the trees basically staying alive because the cork is harvested from the outside with very much care to ensure that the tree and the, the forest is sort of thriving and staying healthy. And they can only be harvested around every nine years, I think it is. So that tree, once it's been harvested and stripped of that outer bark, is then left alone to rebuild and um, and recuperate that cork again. And I think they have to be about 50 years old before they are even allowed to be um, harvested at all. And so the partners that we have in Portugal are very, very uh, sort of strict with that working with nature and really supporting that ecosystem mm. and they are a, a local community a very family-run business that this way of harvesting cork has been and maintaining the forests has been passed down through generations and so it's the so all elements of regeneration it just is such a great example because it yes the carbon sequestration but also the social the social permaculture and that community justice aspect of supporting communities to be individual and uh, sorry independent and resilient themselves so that they can maintain their livelihood the way they want to mm. so our cork pots are currently um the small round pots that fit a shampoo bar perfectly in or you can add I've, I've taken face cleansers around little circular face cleansers around in there as well and we are looking at other ways in which we can utilize cork in our um 
in our products as well because it's just such a fabulous material and they are created very minimal minimally invasively so they're still created by hand there's no sort of lacquers and chemicals used in the production of them um the machinery is it is quite sort of long lasting and very minimal again like the shaping the cutting and the sort of smoothing machinery it's really really interesting to watch i think on youtube on lush youtube there are some videos um where you can actually see the whole process in a really short space of time so definitely check those. brilliant well that exemplifies transparency doesn't it yes yes yeah absolutely and then cork if i touch really quickly on paper as well. We've got several sources of paper and fabric that we use to wrap gifts in, or you can't see it on the podcast, but I am supporting one of our knot wraps uh, today, which is a, a headscarf as I'm wearing it, but fabric wrapping. And these are all examples of us uh, doing things a bit differently with regards to gifts and when people do want some uh, some extra packaging and or when people want things to be able to look nice and unique give things as a gift or for themselves there's loads of different things that we have and I chose um a couple of things are locked to paper certainly um I wanted to mention and this is handmade Nepalese fiber paper and again um I believe having a little look on uh, YouTube there's some really lovely pictures and, and videos of the people we're partnering with um and this again it, it, the fibers are taken from uh plants um that remain alive so there isn't that like monoculture cropping and and taking everything away and really decimating an ecosystem it's very much taking a bit and leaving a lot so that really nice um uh, mantra really and they are the locked paper can be found on some of our gifts but also we're selling some of it in small uh, sheet rolls as well so if you were going to buy wrapping paper for example wrap your own gift in whether it's lush or not um this is an option and it's also because it's so fibrous it's it's quite strong and it's designed to be able to be kept and used and you know when you get you know you get a gift that's in really beautiful wrapping and you're like i can't throw that paper away i'm going to reuse it or i'm going to back some photos in a frame with it or I'm going to cut it up and make paper chains with my children with it or whatever it might be that's exactly what this is designed for for keeping for longer if somebody didn't want it they could compost it at home but why you know why would you want it because it's really really beautiful mm, sounds great and you've um you've also got some new vintage styles with with uh, refillable packaging maybe you could um, bring a few of those into into the picture yeah, so is that um, the the lipstick refill cases yeah, you're um, thinking of? Lipstick refills, highlighter sticks, that that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. One area that our co-founder Rowena Bird's been very focused about over the last few recent years is makeup and how we can really tackle the issue of single-use or very mixed material makeup packaging. As a cosmetics business, you might have seen the figure. I think there's an estimated 128 billion individual items of, of often single-use packaging a year created. And a huge portion of that is attributed to the makeup scene. Um, makeup sticks, push-up sticks, uh, palettes, etc., are often single-use, whether we use them all up at all 
actually, um, before we move on to the next thing. So that's been a real um, passion project for Rowena, who heads up our sort of makeup um, vision and, and lead and, and also uh, creates a lot with our very small makeup team. And one of the things that has come onto the scene is a vintage style uh, aluminium lipstick case. And you can buy them as they are with no lipstick in and you buy the lipstick separately. And the idea is that they are refillable, reusable over and over again. We went for the metal to build in this value and this the, the, the vintage style, so it is a push-up rather than a twist-up, which is a very um, sort of classic vintage style. It feels very like Hollywood uh, movie style. And it automatically feels very much like something that you want to keep. And obviously with the circular economy, this is what we really need to be focusing on is building in, building out, innovating out waste where necessary. And that is very necessary, but also building into in value, right, into the packaging or the, the materials and the offerings that we do have as retail outlets. And so why not create something that is still minimal in a way like that? There's certainly they're not big, chunky, huge bells and whistles, lipstick cases. They're very sleek. They're very small. They're nice and minimalist. They're very easy to carry with you. They're not too heavy either. So it's still nice and sleek and minimal, but it really feels like you're just not going to want to throw that away. It's quite obviously been built to, to last and to carry on. And so, yeah, we're very much hoping that um, we can sort of help to bring that element of keep, reuse, and just sort of restock up on the, the different lipsticks that you have by having the, a sort of set amount of cases that you then can just change over the colours. And then the highlight of the sticks are trick sticks that we have and um, our sort of concealers and naked foundations, etc., are naked in inverted commas, and they have a wax uh, seal on them, or they have a wax almost like... Um, they're dipped in wax at the end so that you can hold it to be able to use it. And then obviously you can put it in your own container. You can, I know lots of people have a container left over and they're actually like uh, pressing it into like a little palette if they've got a reusable palette or a little tub so that they're squashing it into it so it fits neater and it's that's how they want to use it. Um, and so, yeah, completely naked or reusable um, is the direction of travel. We're not like fully there yet with everything, but that's definitely where we're heading with makeup and, and with all of our packages. So you work as part of the Earthcare internal consultancy team with your motto, um, across Lush to leave the world lusher than you found it. Could you unpack what the team does in a bit more detail for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, as you say, our team of around nine people, uh, it's just recently expanding a little bit with um, a couple of extra roles coming on board, but still relatively small group. We act as internal consultants, as you've said, and we, we all span various different areas of the business. We all have our specialty niches from retail, manufacturing, finance, strategy lead, etc. So, we really try to strongly base our approach to our own team and the rest of the business on regenerative permaculture techniques. Um, we often 
try to act as their test bed or, or willing uh, human guinea pigs for experimenting with social permaculture techniques, for example. And we try to be a sociocratic team with joint decision making. We have a lot of autonomy individually in our work. We're not micromanaged um, and we self-reflect as a team a lot. So we're trying to live our values and also sort of um, give people the benefit of our experience in the wider business on how things can run. Because Lush is always about that. Like, how could things be? Um, it doesn't, things don't have to be as they are now because you know these things aren't working on a global scale so we've got to we've got to change things up pretty well um we essentially aim to scope out environmental and ethical best practice and feed this back into the business on many levels and support with letting our customers know and and those wider brand messages as well so let people know what we're up to and why uh, my role specifically also works closely with the creation of um, public facing brand messaging and community engagement, which is a part of my job that I really, really love. And the term leaving the world lusher than we found it was something our team embodied probably um, initially, and we really use that as our focus. But now, as you say, it's the, it's the sort of phrase and the vision that we're holding ourselves to as a wider business increasingly, and not just in the UK and Ireland, but lots of our different partner and, and group markets getting on board with that, and we're starting to work together much more. So we're supporting uh, global team members all around uh, I mentioned about the permaculture and the social permaculture before. So the basic tenets of earth care, people care and fair share are what we're trying to encapsulate and make sure that we're creating value in those areas at all times as a team. And it's such a great phrase, isn't it? Leaving the world lusher than we found it. It's just kind of um, puts a picture in your mind of everything being being better but in a in a kind of really you know green and and um nature-based way I, I really like it so coming coming back to packaging ray could you talk us through one of the projects and i'm thinking maybe the black plastic polypropylene pots because i can imagine people thinking that's such problematic material mm. and i know you've done quite a lot of work it, on, on that particular packaging yeah, yeah, that you can't sort of skirt around the issue that we use. Uh, we use a lot of plastic as lush. Like anyone that walks past our shops or is bought online knows that. And and like we said before, lots of our products still come packaged. Uh, that equates to millions of items of packaging in the UK and Ireland alone every year. And there's no getting away from that. And so what we really wanted to do was if we're we're going to use. Uh, plastic and these are the reasons why and we're going to use black plastic and these are the reasons why and some that we've already mentioned but what we need to do is we need to own it so we need to own it figuratively and literally so whilst developing and innovating and trying to really pioneer naked products and, and alternative uh, sources of packaging um, we wanted to ensure that we are taking responsibility wholly for the plastic that we are putting out into the world. And that is largely the PP black pots, as you say, that's our like, iconic um, packaging style. Um, but also we have some clear PET and we have some clear PP as well. So the, there are slightly different three, three main plastics that we use. 
and we've always taken the um we've always offered the incentive to bring back your black pots since 2008 uh, where people can bring back five empty pots black or clear actually the pp pots and get a free fresh face mask of their choice from the shop and we had that was a successful scheme and we have approximately over the last few years barring last year with the pandemic which was a, a bit of an anomaly but we have around half a million pots come back uh, from largely our UK and Ireland, but some international um, customers as well per year. And they come back to our green hub in Poole for processing. But that very much, fast forward to 2021, and, and that um, very much is not our, we don't want to stop there. That's not okay. That's not enough. So whilst we we offer people the opportunity to Bring back their pots. We're also using 100% PCR, so post-consumer recycled material in most of our plastic, not just our PP actually. But again, uh, still not enough. So we want to be able to take responsibility, like I said, that, that vision of owning our plastic and it not being the customer's responsibility to have to find the right recycling route for it. Obviously, plastics, even if it says recyclable, and technically it really is recyclable, the infrastructure that we have in many different countries, not just the UK, and not even the country, but in the province somewhere, in the municipality, like the difference, the disparity between access to different recycling schemes is such that you can't rely on the curbside recycling, the council, local authority-based recycling, to be able to do what we would like it to be able to do at the moment, and that is recycle PP to a, to a good standard and et cetera, and HDPE. PET, polyethylene terephthalate, is a bit easier. That's like water bottles are made out of drinks bottles, so that there is a bit of a better market for that. But PP can be a bit problematic. So hence us wanting to bring it back, ask people to bring it back, not just our PP, but all of our plastics. We're like, let's just throw down the gauntlet and say to people, like, we're putting it out there. Please bring it back to us. At the same time, we want to make sure that we're trying to ensure our packaging is reusable uh, wherever possible. So keep it, use it, reuse it so that they're quite sturdy. You know, these bottles and the, the pots, they can be reused for lots of different things. But if you're done with it, give it a clean out, bring it back to one of our stores and you can have an incentive. And the incentive is every qualifying packaging item that customers bring back to us, they can get 50 pence towards their shopping that day in store. And there's no minimum or maximum. So someone can bring back one item and get 50 pence. They can bring back 10 and have five pounds or 20 and have 10 pounds, etc. I think this scheme now has been going to, uh, since we reopened after the pandemic in April. And we've had over 80,000 individual items brought back to us just through the Bring It Back scheme, which is amazing. And I say just the Bring It Back scheme because the five items for a fresh face mask still exist. If people were happy with the scheme the way it was and they're like, no, that's how I want to get my fresh face mask, then that's really cool. So obviously uh, that figure of 80,000 is actually higher when we add in the people that have chosen to bring five back for a fresh mask as well. Mm. And that's us sort of trying to, whilst we're innovating to make um, use better, as we would say, packaging materials to navigate this infrastructure and try and support a circular economy infrastructure by moving more and more towards using post-consumer recycled, but also then closed looping 
that material so that it can cycle over and over again. Whilst we're doing all that, from the customer point of view, we wanted to be like, okay, what's, what's the very least we can do? Well, the least we can do is take responsibility for that waste, so to speak, that we're putting out there. So it isn't waste. It can be valuable. This is the whole thing about circularity is, you know, not putting out things that are then sort of dead and gone. <laughs> um, and whilst we're doing that, whilst our customers are doing that, sorry, we will be behind the scenes working to innovate and um, develop as we go. So the recycling scheme is not the be all and end all of everything. It's just the very, the very least we should be doing for our customers and for the planet like right now. Mm. And how did you decide to come up with, you know, where did the 50p come from? Was that just a shot in the dark or <laughs> was it more um, scientific? Yeah, OK. Um, it certainly wasn't a shot in the dark. We we knew that our customers were very open to having money towards their shopping because we did an open question survey on our social media um, in 2020 during the lockdown, asking our customers what would incentivize them to bring their packaging back. What did they want? And money off was very high up there. And so we were like, okay, this is something we've been working on it previously to the, to the pandemic 2020 year, but that really gave us a bit of downtime, so to speak, to get into the, the admin of it and the costing model and the, how we were going to run it. And so it seemed to be a good balance between, obviously it needs to be an, enough of an attractive incentive customers so if you say maybe 10 pence per pot if they're buying something for the average spend within lush say around like sort of 14 pounds say at that time and then being able to have 20 30 40 pence towards the shopping not necessarily as attractive whereas if you start if it's more sort of two three four pounds five pounds and um, then it's a fair offering for our customers essentially um, it's higher than the amount that it costs us as a company to buy the plastic so that's not the um that wasn't the the reasoning it's not like this is what the plastic is worth to us mm. financially but we did factor in well what is it worth you know again with with um everything that we're talking about with circularity and regeneration there is value very valuable um uh, sort of payoff that is not financial at all mm. so adding the financial value as long as it works financially and of course it has to things have to balance but what is the additional value to that um to support us in supporting a circular economy and being able to really have that insight for ourselves so that value is sort of built into that 50 pence as well um, and different markets are doing i think australia and new zealand it's a dollar Mm. And so it has to be based on, you know, what seems a fair deposit return scheme. In the UK and Ireland, we don't really have deposit return schemes in the, the same as, as lots of other markets do. Um, so it's a bit more difficult because it is a little bit, like you say, it can feel a bit like a shot in the dark because we don't have that infrastructure. We're not used to that anymore in the UK, unfortunately. So it's like, mm, where do we, how do we sort of price this and pitch it? Um, but we've communicated quite well, I think, with our customers and staff the whole way along. And, and people seem to feel like, yeah, this was going to be this was going to be for them. They can still have the face mask if that's their bag and that's what they want to do. But if they would rather have 50 pence a pound, one pound, however much it is off their shopping, um, then, yeah, people were really happy with that. And it seemed to go down very well. So we quite quickly felt, OK, we've, we've hit the nail on the head and it's going to be successful. Mm, fantastic and I think it's it's a great way of 
engaging with customers, isn't it? To actually ask ask them, what would you like us to do, and and uh, you know how much how much do you want us to pay for this? Yes, so absolutely. it sounds as if you know there are some amazing um, projects on the go at the moment um, in Lush, and and obviously things that you've been doing and and uh, evolving for years. So if you were to talk to somebody in business who's thinking about going circular or somebody mm. who wants to do a circular economy startup, what would be your top tips? Uh, okay. Um, so I think that when I, w- I was having a, a little think about this after we'd spoken last time, Catherine, and I think the most useful breakthrough uh, professionally for me was definitely understanding and internalizing the notion that ethics are good for business. It isn't something that you have to do additionally. It isn't something that is a box ticking exercise or that is some, is going to um, cause you extra admin time or, you know, be a real ball and chain, I suppose, like around your neck. It's if built into your model early on, even more advantageous because you can, you know, really sort of hit the ground running. If you're an established business, it's maybe more difficult to sort of reverse engineer things. And that can be where the time needs to be taken. But it's still so worth doing because, you know, it's the it's the only way that we're going to be able to maintain, develop and evolve business embedded in communities in the future like to to me there is no other option like it's going to come sooner or later and people are going to realize that this is the way that we have to evolve um and why can't it be good like if you're if you know where your materials are coming from you know how they're being processed and you know face to face and the names of the people that are supplying these raw materials for example for us lots of it's natural grown ingredients but it could be materials created fabrics anything depending on what business you're in um what what's the downside to that really you know if you if all the way through your value chain you sort of know where you're at you know the people you know how those materials are being created and then you can share that with your customers so it's a whole cycle isn't it that it it helps to build your brand Mm. I think you're right. And I think more and more companies are realising that this is an investment for the future. Yeah. It, it might impact short term profits, but it's the direction of travel. And more and more people expect the companies they buy from to be doing the right thing and are shocked if they find out they're not. So, you know, your reputation's on on the line. And as we know, with social media these days, um, you know, news good and bad, um, spreads fast. And mm-hmm. I think there are there are lots of people deciding that what they buy is a, is a way of telling the world what they believe in and what they stand for. Just this morning, um, I noticed on a, a group I'm in, um, the a new a new word to me, climatarian, which was about diets. So it was about changing your diet so it was better for the climate. Um, oh, okay. And then uh, I had a quick look at the article, and apparently the um, the term was was first uh, um, publicised back in 2015. But maybe these kind of different different ways of approaching how you eat, how you know what you wear, what you put on your skin, and so on, 
maybe those are going to become more and more important because people want to be able to show everybody else that um, they're doing things that are good for the rest of us and for nature. And which of your your values do you think helps to move us towards a better world and, and why? Yeah, this is a this is a really nice and thought provoking thing to get asked. So um, personally, for me, the most significant value that I try to keep at the forefront of my mind is to value what I have. And that sounds a little bit um, trite sometimes. Um, but being being thankful for what I have and realizing actually how much I do have is something that I, I feel like means more sometimes it can sound a little bit empty or a little bit like um something that's written on a mug that you might see in um but not not only to like reuse materials and to give things a new life etc but also to try and engender within myself like this mental shift away from just being a consumer and what do i have and all the, the, the things that I've got going on in my own life and the things, the skills that I have, or the, the value that I can share for myself, for the people close to me, but for the wider community and the world as a whole, um, away from just physical, tangible uh, materials. I am a real collector. I have lots of hobbies, so I have a lot of things. And so um, first and foremost, I've sort of put a bit of an embargo on, on buying brand new things a few years ago now. And I find that, to be honest, I can live my life buying secondhand pretty easy. I very rarely have to buy anything new. Being creative, you know, like just creative about what you can use for what or where you get things from or whether you can rent something rather than buy it or be a bit cheeky and ask your friends if you can borrow something that you only need for a short time, you know, and that's something that we just don't, don't really do it's not it's not seen as acceptable to be like can I borrow your lawnmower because I don't really want to buy one because I only need it right now <laughs> for example for example you can tell what a great allotment neighbor I am I'm like oh can I borrow that a few podcasts well it's probably about 20 podcasts ago now I did a couple of interviews with people running tool libraries and that's yes. a great way of of getting things shared in the in the community so, Ray, who would you recommend as a future guest for the programme? Okay, so there's two different groups, so many, so, so many. But I was thinking about uh, localization actually, and how that is very much uh, the future. And certainly localization of food and food production and that the resilience and the um, sustainability or future sustainability that that will bring to us. And so that's why I chose two different uh, urban regenerative food organisations run uh, in and around London, so very heavily urbanised areas. And that is um, Jack's Patch, in, which is an urban allotment and growing um, initiative. And I would definitely suggest to, for people to have a little look, take a little look at um, Jack's Patch on Instagram and online. And Edible London as well, which are an organisation um, creating and providing really great food from food that was going to go to waste, essentially. And again, you can find them on social media as well. Um, and I have a previous workmate that works for Edible London as well. 
Fantastic. So that sounds slightly different to the incredible edible movement, which is all about kind of guerrilla gardening and planting herbs and fruit and veg in public spaces for anybody to to come and use. But Edible London, that's about um, stopping food going to waste. So I'll I'll, um, look that up. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And Ray, how can people find out more and get in touch with you and Lush? Okay, so um, I'd say the the main website for Lush, if you want to know more about the things that we've been talking about, is uh, slightly different. We've got a commerce website where you can obviously buy our products, and we've just started a brand new commerce website. So that is um, things are sort of migrating over at the moment. So there might be some information you're looking for that isn't on there. So we would suggest head to weare.lush.com. And this is the website. You can't buy any of our products on that website, but this gives you loads of background information on our policies, where we started, some top figures about um, our environmental, our socially uh, so- social justice, uh, environmental justice, wildlife justice um, areas. So things that the way we think about things and the way we feel about things and some more concrete policies and things we've done as well. Uh, You can head to the Lush Spring Prize website, which is all about uh, land and social permaculture. And that's a biennial prize that we offer to different groups can apply for funding. So that's really cool. And you can get in touch in general with uh, the Lusher, not Lusher than we found it, with the Earth Care team through Lusher than we found it on Instagram. Or you can email us at earthcare at lush.co.uk. And if you want to get in touch with Lush in general and not necessarily the Earthcare team, you can email wecare at lush.co.uk and that goes straight through to our customer care team. Excellent. Thank you. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. And it's been great to hear just a few of the brilliant things that Lush are doing. I'm sure we could have spent probably two or three episodes diving into some of the other packaging innovations and obviously there's the whole ethos behind the products and all the ethics and lots of other ways that you're leaving the world lusher than you found it i think that's such a such a great motto thank you very much ray and good luck with the next batch of lusher than we found it earth care uh, projects amazing thank you all so much and Come and join us. The movement is open to everybody. The lusher than we found it movement, the more the merrier, whether you are a business or an individual. Get on board. Fantastic. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. It was fascinating to hear how Lush embeds permaculture and regenerative agriculture approaches into its business practices. For example, for the cork supply chain, getting to know the families managing the cork forests and understanding how the forests could flourish. Lush's pioneering approach to naked packaging, in other words, designing the product so it needs no packaging or just minimal paper wraps and so on, is supported by another important principle, designing solid or concentrated products without water. This has knock-on benefits for logistics costs and associated greenhouse gas emissions. What stood out for me was Ray recalling the moment when Lush realised that it needed to own the packaging solution. And I was impressed with Lush's decision not to make pots suitable for curbside recycling collections because they realised that across the UK, the recycling success rate isn't good enough. The UK's recycling rate for plastic from consumer homes is only around 7%. 
So even if the black plastic polypropylene pots were redesigned to be white or clear, only a tiny proportion would be recovered to go back into similar quality plastic. Instead, Lush decided a more effective strategy would be to offer a bring-back solution so that Lush could close its own loop. And it's worth noting that Lush has been offering bring-back solutions for polypropylene pots since 2008. I liked the way that Lush engaged, engaged its customers in designing the process, asking open questions on social media to explore how to make the process convenient for people. And crucially, how much the bring back reward should be. That's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you use circular, sustainable approaches to make a better world for people, planet and your business. Get in touch via the website or connect with me on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one or buy the new edition of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. Make sure you get the edition with the orange cover, which has a new chapter on packaging, lots of extra examples and updated research in every chapter. You can find resources and links mentioned in today's episode, as well as a transcript of the conversation at rethinkglobal.info, where you can find out how we help you succeed with Circular. <music>